podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello and welcome to our first update of 2024 for the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. We're going to be taking the pulse of UK markets as the new year begins and looking at positioning on the trust. I'm Cherry Reynard and with me today are trust managers Ben Ritchie and Rebecca McLean. So welcome Ben and welcome Rebecca. Ben, um, let's start with a look at the swing factors for markets in the year ahead. Um, Can we look forward to another year of fretting about interest rates and inflation? Yes, I think probably. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think think we're we're hopeful that uh, 2024 will be a year where stock performance and corporate earnings come more into play in terms of um, certainly driving equity returns, but perhaps also driving commentary in the marketplace. Um, I think it has been incredibly uh, macro focused over the last um, couple of years. Uh, I can't remember a time in my career that so much uh, anticipation has hung around various macroeconomic releases from CPI in the US um, here as well, uh, people hanging on tenterhooks from central banks that that's been you know extremely um pointed over the last couple of years uh, and i think while who knows really what happens to the direction of of longer term interest rates bond yields and the direction of central banks i think it probably is a reasonable thing to say that we're not going to see short term rates moving up particularly from here therefore we're probably in an environment a little bit more stable And that, therefore, I think by definition, tries more focus on corporate performance. I think we started to see that come through a little bit more in the second half of last year. And I think we'll probably continue to see that um, playing out over 2024. We said fairly consistently that we're quite cautious on the outlook. And we've said that for a number of years. Um, Now, over that time period, markets have probably done okay. But our caution has really revolved around the earnings environment for companies. Um, And markets have been predominantly driven by interest rates. Um, And I think as we look forward from here, we we think it's a differentiation between between winners and losers, between the stronger companies and the weaker ones that we think will attract more focus from investors uh, going forward from here. So absolutely, I'm sure that there'll be endless conversations about inflation and interest rates. I'm sure that Politics will, and we may talk about that a little later, will also be a, a key feature of, of conversation during the year. Uh, but I think Rebecca and I would very much like uh, when we write up the year 24-25 to be talking about the companies that have contributed to the need and over the year, uh, as opposed to long soliloquies on, on macroeconomics. Let's hope so. Um, Rebecca, as, as Ben mentioned then, uh, November and December saw market leadership broaden out a little. Can you see that continuing into this year? Yeah, so taking a look back at 2023, um, the UK market did deliver a, a decent return, so about sort of over 7%. And within that, we were seeing that size was an important factor um, and also value was a, was a strong performer too. And so particularly for the year up to 
October really saw that the the larger cap end of the UK market outperforming the small and mid cap end quite materially. Um, but from mid October, um, we did see that rotation and and a and a, a strong rebound in the mid cap space throughout November and December as economic data points came out to suggest that inflation was was coming down and and with it then people's expectations for interest rates um so um yeah a strong rotation through those two months um and i think you know the other sort of point to to raise is that if we look at some of the stock specifics of some of the big companies at the end of last year, we have seen some quite sharp declines. So, for example, in December, we saw two large index constituents uh, decline, Anglo-American and British American Tobacco. Both are, uh, you know, neither of them are held in the trust um, and they're for their own reasons. So Anglo-American announced some um, large production cuts and British American Tobacco produced results which indicated weaker US cigarette volumes. And so um, I think this this comes back to the point that when what we're looking for and what we think going forward is that the market's going to be much better suited to that stock specific and fundamental analysis, which is what we do. Um, so looking for those companies which are quality companies, which are able to deliver resilient earnings and strong financials uh, through different economic cycles. Um, and we're looking to avoid some of those companies which um, are, are not able to do that. And so I think that I think it was it was pleasing to see that come born out in November and December. And we do think that going forward, that should continue. Um, but but a high level, I mean, the UK market remains very attractively valued. And we think the UK mid cap space also um, is in a good position for continued recovery. Um, looking at you know what what could actually drive that, it would probably be a continuation of what we saw in November and December in terms of inflation and interest rate expectations, but also other other drivers will be around flows after you know a number of years now steady outflows out of the UK markets. Um, UK is under owned by international investors, and so any sort of turn in that sentiment or flows there would be um, a material positive for the market and that should benefit the mid cap space given um the liquidity concerns in that that part of the market um, and then finally this question about recession risk which um is important when we're thinking about the outlook there's a number of indicators which suggest that the uk is is faring better so improving consumer confidence you know there's some of the metrics around as the tracker of of household cash flows improving um real wage growth so you know the reasons to suggest that that the the economic picture in the uk could be improving and that would be taken well by market so would continue to support that outperformance of of the uk market Okay, thanks, Rebecca. Um, if we could sort of zoom in on a couple of the interesting sectors uh, in the year ahead. Um, now, you've got positions in Nova Nordisk and AstraZeneca in the trust, and there seems to be a lot of buzz around healthcare generally, you know, with with new innovation on areas such as obesity and Alzheimer's and, and the mRNA technology. Yet in 2023, the sector seems to have been viewed very much as sort of defensive, you know, that traditional defensive um, 
area and it, it's kind of lagged a little. Do you think there, there's sort of scope for a reappraisal in the year ahead, Rebecca? The healthcare sector does um, provide a number of strong quality characteristics, which we're looking for in the trust. So um, looking for, you know, companies exposed to structural growth, defensive growth, um, looking there are companies within the sector which have got strong competitive moats, given their R&D capabilities uh, and indeed strong financials too, in addition to you know, the ESG case for, for many healthcare companies considering the benefit that their treatments provide to societies. So lots to like from a quality and sustainability perspective within the sector. Um, the trust has got a small overweight position to the sector. And as you say, we've got positions in AstraZeneca and Nova Nordisk. Um, within the sector, these two are probably towards a more growth end of the market, and they both are benefiting from structural growth, which, which when we're thinking about the uncertainty around the macroeconomic cycle, it's helpful to have companies whose growth is supported by structural reasons rather than cyclical reasons. Um, and, and there are stock specifics as well within them. So, you know, for example, for AstraZeneca, their pipeline of, um, of end markets that they're servicing include you know, oncology, cardiovascular, respiratory. And so these, these end markets are benefiting from structural trends around ageing and demographics. And this translates into some um, strong sales growth expectations for AstraZeneca. So the market's looking for about 10%, over 10% sales growth in the next couple of years. Um, and the question about the sustainability of that growth probably comes down more to their um, ability to execute on the pipeline and future R&D successes rather than macro cycles. And so that's what's important for the AstraZeneca share price. It's about pricing in the probability of success of that pipeline and and sort of discounting it. So it provides a helpful diversifier within within the portfolio. And then for Nova Nordisk, again, you know, with their launch of WeGovi, they are addressing a very large market, but nascent market, which again benefits from structural growth drivers around diabetes and obesity. And the company is delivering very strong sales growth. So, you know, over 20% this year, um, with the market expecting that to fade, but still very good growth. Um, in terms of the, the specifics for that company, I suppose near term, there are questions around their ability to deliver and execute on the volumes. Um, so sort of managing the supply chain and longer term questions around, you know, whether weight loss drugs can be um, taken under coverage from Medicare and also questions around competition for the for the company. Um, but, you know, again, sort of helpful, you know, good defensive growth which is driven by factors which are out with the economic cycle. So lots of like the challenge for the sector is about pricing it. And I think the reason why we're not more overweight, the sector is probably is because our because of our analysis around what's priced into the to the companies for that future growth. OK, thanks, Rebecca. Um, ben, you've also got a couple of automakers, so Mercedes-Benz and Volvo. I mean, what do you what do you think is really marking out the winners in that? sector, you know, particularly in an era of um, electric vehicles? Both are quite sort of different companies in a way. So Volvo today, um, there are two listed companies, Volvo Cars and Volvo Trucks. We own the, we own the truck maker. Um, so Volvo has been on a 
quite a long journey of self-improvement over the last sort of probably nearly two decades. Trucks historically was a very cyclical industry, very competitive, low margin, fragmented. Generally speaking, having none of the characteristics of companies that we typically like to invest in. Um, but over the years, through a series of disposals, um, but also through a lot of operational hard work, Volvo Trucks has moved itself to become, you know, I think, a really very well run, still cyclical business, but operating in a, an increasingly consolidated industry, selling into primarily into commercial customers who are very focused in the, in the efficiency and effectiveness of the products. They've got a hugely strong balance sheet. They now gen operate uh, profit levels way above that those that were achieved historically. Um, they are able to generate you know decent profits in tough times and generate very attractive levels of returns in in good times, and and generate quite a lot of cash. And they're also you know, the, the sort of pressures around some of the EV transition are not so are not so present in the in the commercial trucks market. So Volvo we think is a, a very solid business, steady growth, uh, but primarily being driven by by self-improvement and, and the, the cash generation typically being returned back to investors. So, it, you know, it, it has a track record of paying a high and, and very uh, a generous dividend in terms of it, in terms of its surplus cash. So quite an interesting company. And Mercedes is, is in many ways uh, like Volvo, but perhaps 10 years behind. So Mercedes uh, traditionally was, was two businesses, really. One was cars and the other trucks they span off their trucks business um a couple of years ago they do retain a stake in that but the investment case for mercedes is really twofold i mean one um a fundamental improvement in the profitability of the automotive business so historically that cars part of mercedes never made more than eight percent margins i think this last year they made 15 percent margins or something at least in one quarter and in healthy double digit margins and the profitability of the business we think has the potential to take a, a significant step up and somewhat like Volvo, promise a sort of resilient level in tough times, but the upside opportunity to make higher margins. And, and that's really being driven by an increased focus um, on premium vehicles and, and, and on the luxury end. So while um, Mercedes make a couple of million cars a year or just under that, the piece that really makes them the money uh, is their sort of three or four hundred thousand cars, which are their G-Wagons. S classes and the AMG sports brands that they that they produce, um, and and those cars, are, you know, they're capable of making as attractive margins in that space as people like Porsche. So it's really about a business tran transition and enhancement and improvement. And then at the same time, you've got a valuation that's extremely depressed. So uh, Mercedes has a very large cash balance sheet. I think it's got about twenty over twenty billion euros on the balance sheet of, of net cash. It's got a stake in Daimler Trucks that I think is worth uh, seven or eight billion euros. Um, so you're not getting far off half the company's market cap that's sitting in liquid assets, which is a pretty good place to be. Um, and then you've got uh, all the various other assets and, 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 and investments that they've got as well. So we think it's extremely well underpinned, quite an attractive internal self-improvement story, paying out a, a high and, and generous dividend and, and well underpinned by, by the strong balance sheet. So. Um, we do allow ourselves to invest in companies that aren't the best quality if they pay a high yield. It's, you know, there's always a trade-off to some degree. And we're very focused on finding the companies which we think not only can sustain that dividend, but also grow it, and which we think can offer us attractive total returns as well. 
And I think both Volvo and, and Mercedes are, are good examples of that. So you know, aware of their limitations, uh, they don't operate in the most attractive industries um, and they don't make the highest returns, but they do have very strong balance sheets, good management, and we think decent prospects. So I think particularly Mercedes uh, over the longer term is you know, substantially uh, undervalued. Now, Rebecca, um, again, as Ben mentioned earlier, you've you've maintained a cautious stance over the past few years and, and are keeping up with that in 2024. Can you just give some of the reasoning behind that? Yeah, we um, have, have maintained a cautious outlook um, and there are a number of factors that that are behind that. So, um, you know, there's certainly some of the trends that we've seen um, in the past around the delayed impact from from monetary tightening, for example. Um, I think there's a, there's a concern that the full effects of that are yet to be seen. And we're looking towards the economists that we have internally in their house view as well to see sort of what, what the expectation is for the outlook when it comes to GDP and interest rate expectations. Um, and yeah, our economists at the moment are looking for growth to moderate globally. And their baseline is for a mild recession in the US in the middle of 2024. So, I mean, that has been pushed out and it's been something that the general market commentators have been looking for for some time now, which is being pushed out. But um, it's still within the base case for many. And we sort of, you know, continue to sort of hold that view too. Um, and I suppose when we look at the expectations for earnings going into 2024 and 2025, there is still a decent level of growth expected, which um, which could be at risk if you do see some of those demand um, the health of the demand fall off. And so, you know, given the importance of the earnings delivery when it comes to market performance, I think that is something to be uh, cognizant of when we're when we're looking at 2024. So um, so, so there's the, the question of sort of the risk around recession, the earnings delivery of the market, particularly in a lower inflation environment as well, because that's probably going to put pressure on margins overall um, for companies if they are seeing um, less pricing support for revenues whilst also seeing some wage headwinds which would impact margins and so I think thinking about some of the earnings too is is what feeds into that Um, and then finally just sort of picking up what we're hearing from companies as well you know there are pockets of the of economies which are facing tougher times so you know today we've had profit warnings from Burberry which is the luxury retailer pointing to um, more weaker trends in the, in the luxury market this week we've heard from some UK recruiters UK and European recruiters who are pointing to weak demand and headcount in uh, towards the end of last year um, and also you know hearing from the, the house builders this week as well also you know they're not seeing a pickup in in volumes yet it's too early to see the the impact of, of lower interest rate expectations and mortgage rates on their volumes and so you know I think there's enough when we're looking at the earnings expectations as a whole that recession risk and then also what we're hearing from companies themselves and pockets of weakness for us to maintain a cautious outlook um but that said you know as been mentioned the valuation of the uk market is attractive and is pricing in what looks like quite a negative outlook 
and from a trust the trust perspective from Dunedin you know we're looking for quality companies which can deliver resilient earnings through different economic cycles and so if that tougher economic picture does um, pan out the trust should be relatively well positioned because the companies are you know, have got relatively strong financial characteristics strong balance sheets um elements of a self-help and structural growth which should support the earnings and also strong management teams as well and so in that environment we would expect the trust to deliver resilient performance but you know our focus does remain on capital preservation um, and we're looking for companies which where we think that the share prices are are you know underestimating prospective future earnings delivery uh, for the companies. And so from that perspective, you know we're whilst we're cautious on the outlook, we're we're relatively comfortable when we're looking at the companies in the portfolio, we think that actually the portfolio should should stand to deliver resilient performance in in different economic environments. And just finally, Ben, it, it won't have escaped anyone's notice that it's a big election year. Um, do you see any potential disruptions to markets as voters go to the polls? I think in the UK, uh, we're pretty relaxed. I don't think we expect to see major um, implications for UK corporates from the change of government. I mean, I think that's pretty well expected by markets, whether it happens or not. Yes, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but, but I think all the noise that we've heard that's come out of Keir Starmer's administration so far has been relatively business friendly. And, and certainly when we've had your conversations around those sorts of areas, the messaging is very much about a focus on a strong economy that can help support investment. Um, and I think that's reassuring as far as it as far as it goes. And I think markets are relatively relaxed about UK elections. The election, perhaps more obviously, that will undoubtedly cause much more heat and light and debate and angst will be the US election. But I think, again, there, it's hard to tell exactly what the implications are. Um, a number of people, if you speak to them, are absolutely terrified of Donald Trump uh, becoming president, and that may well be a, a wise position to have. But I don't think we really know uh, what the implications would be for the economy, for foreign policy, um, for uh, lots of other areas, uh, both within the United States and globally. Um, and so I, I feel both that we don't know if he's going to be on the ballot, we don't know the outcome of the election. And I think his actions, uh, and certainly the implications of the actions, remain extremely uncertain. Um, so will there be an uncertainty premium that comes in? I think that that's, probably, that's probably quite likely. But I think as ever, we want to invest in companies, Cherry, where whoever's the president of the United States, it doesn't really matter too much. Um, the companies that are capable of navigating good times and bad times, you know, working through recessions as much as working through good growth times. So, you know, I'd be disappointed if we felt the need to be changing uh, our portfolio because of what was happening with the US presidential election or what was happening even with the with the UK election in, in that regard, because you know, if we're doing our jobs well, then you know, we should have companies within the portfolio that are capable of managing whatever situation that situation that develops. Um, and that's really our, our focus, you know, as, as uh, Rebecca was saying earlier, trying to find the companies that have got good structural growth drivers, strong balance sheets that can get them through tough times and being exposed to opportunities to grow their to grow their businesses over time. And that's our that's our key focus. So uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of endless notes hitting our inboxes about the 
the implications of a, a Trump administration in 25. Um, but for now, I think it's really just a question of focusing on, on, on the company level and, and sticking to what we think we, we know something about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. We'll wrap up there. Um, thank you so much, Ben and Rebecca. Um, if you have any more questions about the trust, please do get in touch or visit the website at dunedinincomegrowth.co.uk. And thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.